This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. Special program, WKRP in Cincinnati and Lou Grant will not be presented this evening. Tonight's special presentation is brought to you in part by Hardee's. We're out to win you over. And by Clorox, the makers of Tilex Tile Cleaner. Prepare yourself for an in-depth examination of something mundane from Icy Robot's day-to-day existence. Welcome to This Boring Life. Hello, my kids. It is me, Icy Robots, and I am back for another another episode of This Boring Life, the show in which we, we take a look at the origin story of me, Icy Robots, and the way we do it is... One topic at a time, and the topic we are going to tackle this week is one that one that I wanted to come at for a while. We are going to talk about a uh, a pal of mine that I had during the seventh and eighth grade years. A a kid that goes by the name of Andy. Now, this is not this is not his real name. I want to uh, I want to be clear about that. I am not going to be using the real names of the people the people involved in this story because a lot of it is like a lot of personal details, a lot of things like that. So please don't go looking for some dude named Andy out there to uh, to harass because you'd be going after the wrong dude, and that's even worse than going after the right dude. I think because the wrong dude had nothing to do with it. He's just you know some fool named Andy walking the. Uh, Walking the face of the earth, minding his own business. Or, or beeswax. I like to say that sometimes too, you know. Dude's out there just minding his own beeswax. And you bust up in his face and start, uh, start telling him all these stories from his life that he already knows. And that would be weird because he didn't know him at all. His name's not Andy. He's not the real guy. So, Andy lived around the corner from where I lived. At this time, we lived over in a different neighborhood of Rincon Valley here. We lived in, a, like, a townhouse. That's one of those gimmicks where, like, there's a wall connecting another person's domicile and we lived over there in this complex and this kid Andy lived around the corner there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of kids over there there's this kid cockroach that I know I've talked about there's this kid uh this kid named Mondo that lived around the corner and Mondo like never came outside he had like some weird living situation that I could never figure out and he hardly would ever come outside and he had a brother there was those guys my cousin lived uh, across the street but there weren't, like, a lot of, like, dudes from my school. There weren't even, like, any, as far as I knew. It was just just a bunch of, like, random dudes going from, like, fourth grade up to, like, you know, maybe, I'm thinking maybe, like, ninth grade. I might have been, like, the oldest dude around, and I did have to spend some time hanging out with some new jacks, but 
it's all good, you know. These are just like proximity pals. Like I've talked about before, they were just like the dudes you hung out with because you didn't have transportation and they happened to live nearby. And this kid Andy was one of those proximity pals. But unlike the other proximity pals, we we had a lot of shared interest. You know, he was into action figures and G.I. Joes and cartoons and like role-playing games and like Atari and all that cool stuff. So... He and I became like like super tight bros. He was like a proximity pal that became like like a real pal. He was like somebody that I would hang out with every every single day, you know, Monday through Sunday. Maybe not if the family did something off on our own, you know, we went on some kind of a journey, like we went to the beach or Fort Ross or some kind of, you know, local thing. I would see this kid every single day. I'll start I'll start at the beginning of the of the tale of when I first, when I first met Andy, I was in, I was in seventh grade and I'm walking around the middle school and I've talked before about how in crossing over schools, a lot of the dudes that were in my crew, like went to cook junior high or just random other middle school. So I was down like most of my crew and I spent like the first few weeks kind of alone in it. You know, just sort of trying to find my bearings, trying to find like like-minded other dudes to hang out with. And one of those days I was, I was like walking through the quad and I got tackled from behind. Like somebody ran up and just tackled me around the waist and I was completely, completely caught unaware. And I remember I hit the ground really hard. Like my, my elbows got bloodied up and I tore one leg of my pants. I didn't have very many pairs of pants. I think I only had like two maybe three. So getting one torn was, that was a pretty big uh, hit to the wardrobe. And I was super mad. I was, you know, I was bullied from time to time because I wasn't like the, like the coolest kid or like the biggest I, kid. It wasn't and like completely unheard of to get pushed or tackled or something. So I kind of knew what to expect. I figured that I got knocked to the ground and that I was going to get up and that there would be some big, like, jock dude or some big, like, James Spader, like, new wave guy from, you know, Pretty in Pink or whatever, some dude with, like, a, like, a blazer on and, like, a hot pink shirt or, like, somebody in a headband and, like, a karate club t-shirt. That kind of 80s bully situation was what I completely expected, but then when I got up and turned around, there was... A short, somewhat out of shape kid in a white t-shirt. And I looked at him and I'm like, I am not going to let this kid bully me. I expected that. I expected I was going to turn around and like Billy Zabka was going to be there. Some big, big buff guy with like fingerless gloves and some kind of, you know, sweatshirt with the sleeves cut off. And... Instead, there was a dude who looked, you know, very much like myself. And I I saw this as an opportunity to, you know, kind of get myself over. I'm, I thought, like, I'm going to bum rush this dude because there is just no way that somebody who is the same or maybe even worse than me is going to go and bully me. And plus, I was mad. Like, my elbows, like, were really bloody and there were, like, little rocks in them and my pants were torn and... People were looking. People were looking and they saw me on the ground and I I had to do something to save face. So I I just went it, dude, like winging crazy punches, just crazy hooks and body blows, just bananas, exaggerated punches. Because what do I know about punches? I'm, you know, a nerd. I played D&D. I, 
I ride a Huffy and throw Nerf balls around the bedroom. So I'm like swinging punches and I, I'm like punching him in the arm and the body and they're all just like not super effective. And then he starts yelling, no, 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 I was, I was kidding. I was kidding. I just, I wanted to, you live in my neighborhood and you know, things like that. So I kind of gave him a shove like, what the heck? And then he started, you know, talking to me and he's just like, you live around the corner for me. And I just, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, get to know you and I'm sorry. And I didn't have a lot of friends, like I said, at the time. And this was like a really weird situation. But I feel at the time that I felt like, well, I've kind of come up on dude. He tackled me. Maybe I got the better of it in our fist fight because he wasn't punching back and I was. And now he's kind of begging off and I needed friends. So I said, it's cool, dude, you know, and we started talking and he was telling me how he lived, you know, right around the corner from where I lived. And I was super ecstatic to have somebody like that I knew at school who lived within, you know, two minute walking distance from where I dwelled. I was just... I was just really stoked because I finally found somebody that I could, that I could kick it after school. I spent a lot of time after school with like my little brother. He and I would hang out and he had a, that friend cockroach down the street and we would hang out with my cousin and stuff. But I didn't have any friends within like a walking distance who were like, like real school friends, you know, the like exact same age as me. So I was, you know, tickled pink to have Andy over there and we went home together that day we both rode bikes and we we rode our bikes we rode our bikes home from school do you remember riding your bike to school was that something you did the the junior high was i don't know i'm gonna think maybe like a 20 25 minute bike ride from my house and some mornings it was it was so cold now it's like northern california cold so it's not like snows and sleets or whatever but it is like you know frost and all that stuff and i remember being out there just riding my bike at like 7.15 in the morning to school and but that was no big deal because it paid off after school when you would have your bike with you and you didn't have to walk home you got to ride it was like a give take and me and Andy started riding our bikes to and from school together which was which was pretty cool the downside of the whole thing was that Andy wasn't at school very often his uh his parents were divorced or I'm not even honestly sure if they were like ever married in the first place. He didn't like to talk a lot about the uh, the early days of his existence. So I, I didn't get a lot of details. And when you're a kid, you know, you don't even like you don't even ask people if they're parents or whatever. Who cares? You don't even you don't even think twice about their parents. All that I knew was that. Andy's mom was hardly ever around. She worked and I imagine she was like she was trying to get trying to get her life back together. So she was she was hardly ever around. When I say hardly ever, I mean I I saw her maybe like once or twice in all of the time that I hung out over there. I honestly could not even get like a mental picture of what she what she looks like. I have no idea. I saw her just a couple times, and his dad lived over in Novato, which is like a couple towns over. So he spent a lot of time with himself. He had two sisters. They were named uh, Lindy and Mindy, let's just say. That is, that's not their name in any way. So 
they were older than he was. One of them was like already off in high school and the other one was in our school in ninth grade. And I guess his mom assumed that they would that they would do the taking care of Andy, but they were both, you know, trying to live their teenage lives too. So they did give it a try, but Andy didn't take very well to, didn't take very well to like lessons as far as like life or whatever. And I would imagine that after a while they kind of give up, give up. And he, he was largely like on his own and he didn't go to school like every day. I would meet him on the corner if things were ideal and we would ride to school. If he wasn't there, I'd go over to his house and knock on the door and he would usually answer it and say, oh, I'm just not going today. He would be there in his pajamas or sometimes he wouldn't even answer the door at all. So I did have like a close pal, but due to the, due to like the loose restrictions on him, he just, he hardly ever went to school. So that was, that was kind of a bummer too. I had to develop other like school pals and they were like school pals, but not like out of school pals. And he was like, he was like my main after school pal. Even if he didn't go to school, we would, we would catch up with each other afterwards. Either I would stop on the way home and see what he was up to, or he would come by, come by my place, depending. We spent, we spent a lot of time at his house because his mom was never there, like I said, and his sisters were they were there from time to time, but not usually all that often. And they didn't seem to give a flip what we did. So we spent a lot of time in his house just like goofing around and getting into trouble and watching TV and whatever. And I think we're going to take, I think we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when I, when I come back, we'll talk about some of these weird things that we did together. Me and him were just always into mischief. This dude was a maniac. He was just like a, uh, unwatched maniac and we did a lot of weird things we'll talk about a few of them when we get back from this hi i'm david hasselhoff and i'll be right back one to grow that's right you didn't do anything it has nothing to do with you you got the cold shoulder from your best friend because she's probably having a real tough day and she just has something else on her mind don't take it personally and don't jump to conclusions if a friend acts weird it's most likely because you caught him at a bad time wait a little while when the pressure's off you'll find out she's still your best friend that's pretty good advice from uh from mr hasselhoff there sometimes you know you go up to somebody and they're acting all weird and you're like what did i do what did i do you just got to remember the world doesn't revolve around you you know not everything that uh anybody else's feeling has anything anything to do with you so me and andy spent like we spent a lot of time together almost every day after school we were we were kicking it and it was, it was cool, you know, it was cool to have, like, a, like, a tight bud. I didn't have, like, like, tons of friends yet at this point in my life. It was, like, some proximity pals, and, you know, I had, like, my school pals, but I didn't have, like, a lot of, like, outside of school pals, like, dude, I could, dudes I could see on my own on, like, free time. I was, you know, hanging out with dudes at school and stuff, but it's different when you're, like, outside school and you're hanging out and you're going to each other's houses and stuff, and we would... We would spend a lot of time over at Andy's house, like I said, because it was, it was largely unsupervised, and he just, you know, 
He had, like, an average normal run-of-the-mill house. It was slightly better than our house at the time because it was, like, a freestanding house. We we lived in sort of, like, a, uh, like a townhouse, like a unit with, like, a shared wall. And his place was, like, it was, like, his own place, and it had a had a bigger backyard than ours. Not a giant backyard, but it was, it was definitely better than ours. And he had a garage. We did not have a garage. We had to park our cars in the, uh in a carport at the time, and he had his own garage, and inside the garage was, there was like, like a loft, like a, uh, like a storage loft built into the, uh, you know, into the ceiling, and it was, like, with, like, posts sustaining it onto the ground, and it had a ladder, and you can go up there, and we would, we would go up there all the time and hang out, it was pretty neat to be, like, up above everything else in, like, this hidey hole, and we would go up there with, like, flashlights and hang out, and now that I, now that I look at it, I'm just like, we should probably should never have been up there. It was, it was fairly rickety, as I recall, and we would have fun, like, ricketying it back and forth, you know, like, shaking it back and forth, and what were we hoping to accomplish by doing that, I wonder? It's like, were we wanting to make it fall? Because we would have definitely fallen to our dooms if we didn't die we would have for sure at least, like, broken our arms, because we were up there, like, it wasn't tall enough to where you could stand up, but you could, you could, like, crouch. We spent a lot of times, like, laying down, like, you were, like, on your, on your stomach, on your forearm. So we would have, like, shook it back and forth and fallen onto the ground, onto our forearms and knees, and all the stuff that was stowed up there would have, would have fallen on us. It would have been, it would have been a catastrophe. We would have been doomed, and it seems like that's what that's what we were looking to do. One of the one of the things we were doing when we were up there is you'd go up and we would throw things off of it onto the onto the floor. There were there were like all these rods up there one time I recall. The, this was like one of the first times we went up there. There were all these rods, like these long aluminum rods, and on one end they had a kind of like a springy end, like a like a pogo stick. I don't know what these would be used for, but they were like long rods with like these pogo stick-like ends, and we would like to throw them off, you know, right off of the loft so that the pogo end would hit the ground and they would, they would bounce up. It was, it was pretty fun. I remember we only did this the one time, and you'll, you'll see why in a second, but at first we were, we were just like harmlessly throwing them off and watching them like hit the ground and rebound off into whatever direction, but then it sort of escalated to where we were throwing them as hard as we could into the ground and seeing how high how high we could get them to bounce and I was you know, I was sort of the, sort of the slightly mischievous type, I wasn't like a full on like juvenile delinquent but I did, I did from time to time dabble in mischief, so I wasn't above I wasn't above doing the kind of things that you would be able to cover up so that nobody of authority would know that you did them, like those kind of things, but Andy was the different sort. He he did not give a flip who found out about anything, and before before you knew it, he was trying to he was trying to throw the pogo sticks so that they would hit the ground and fly up and hit the hit the lights. There were like the kind of like fluorescent tubing lights that are they're like suspended by chains, you know, onto the uh, a bit off the ceiling. And he was trying to like throw the sticks so that they would hit the ground, 
and shoot up into into the lighting structures. He really he really wanted to break a light bulb. And I remember like going, dude, I don't think that's a good idea because there is no way to cover that up. We can't like someone's gonna notice that the light bulbs are broken. But he's just like, we'll just say it broke. Don't worry about it. And he he kept doing it and doing it. And then finally he hit one. And when he hit it. And that like that got him jazzed and he started throwing them off like super quickly in succession trying to hit the the other light bulbs and it was like crash one would break crash one would break crash one would break and I had never like in the entirety of my life been involved in like this kind of destructive behavior I was not attuned to this so like internally, I was freaking out. I'm just like, this is gonna be, this is gonna be so bad. And I'm just like, Andy, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go home. This is, I gotta go. And he's like, no, it's cool. Don't worry. You know, don't worry. And I was just like inside. My heart was racing. My, I was sweating. I was just like freaking out because he had just about like knocked out every lighting fixture in the garage. Like most of the bulbs are broke and a lot of the, you know, actual, like, uh, light fixtures themselves were, like, they were hanging askew. Like, he had knocked them off of their hooks. It was, it was, like, a pretty bad scene as, as a parent, you know, at this, at this point in my life. If I came home and the, uh, the garage was, like, in this level of chaos, I would, I would be pretty steamed. I would be flipping a lid for sure, and... Andy didn't seem like, he seemed very nonplussed by the whole thing. He wasn't, like, in a state of panic in any way. And I, I internally was panicking hard. And I think externally I was probably panicking, like, to a pretty, pretty fair, visible, uh, visible degree. And I'm just like, Andy, what do we do? What do we gotta do? You know, what do, how do we, how do we, da 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 And he's like, I don't know. I don't care. Do you want to? Do you want to go watch Robotech? And I didn't want to go watch Robotech, but I'm just like, what about, uh, you know, what about this? And he just, he, like, he didn't want to do anything about it. He just wanted to go watch Robotech. And it's like, it's his house. So we went inside and, and we did that. And it was, it was like super weird to me because this was like something that if I did and I got caught for doing, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. And dude was just like, dude was not concerned. Now I, I realize like as an adult, it was just because nobody really ever came home from what I could see. So he, he knew that he could do whatever it was that he wanted and just there were, there weren't going to be any consequences and that's, that's sad. It's sad to, to live your life, especially, you know, like as a youth during these periods of times when you actually do need people to discipline you, to, to keep you in line, not to have anybody, anybody there to do that. And this wasn't like, this wasn't like the only time that I was over there and he, he got all buck wild. There was a, like another time that I, I vividly recall where we were just we were just kicking it, you know, we were watching, like, Inhumanoids or whatever, and he's like, hey, 
let's go make sandwiches. So we, you know, we headed over to his kitchen and we, you know, got out the Wonder Bread and the bologna and like the, the salami from those plastic packages, you know, the Oscar Mayer packages. We got our lettuce and we're like, we're making the sandwiches, you know, with the Miracle Whip and the mustard and everything. And they're all looking good and stuff. And, and you know, we're all done. And we we grab one of those, like, juice barrels, you know, like the barrels with the uh, with the drink. Not the juice. It's like drink. I, I like those. I still like those. They, the flavors are good. I realize it's probably the equivalent of drinking, like, battery acid residue as far as your health. But... Kicking down one of those every once in a while is not that bad. They're they're fairly tangy, and they only cost a quarter. So, what are you gonna say about that? My my favorite is the green. I like the green, uh, the antifreeze green, and also the the blue, the uh, one that is the paint thinner colored blue. Those are those are my deals. And Andy Andy always has food in his house. That was one thing that I remember. And now. Like, as an adult, I, I look back and I imagine, like, his his a- absent mom was absent, but she's probably out there, you know, working hard every day trying to, like, get that bacon and fry it up in a pan, you know, and she didn't necessarily have the time to be hanging around the house with with the kids, and plus, you know, she had her, her two daughters who she thought were on top of things, and for the most part, they they weren't on top of things, they were... They were out being teenage girls, so at any rate, me and me and Andy finished up our sandwiches, and I'm you know heading back to the uh, back to the living rooms to check out the uh, the humanoids, and I turn around at home. He has the he has the pack of the Oscar Mayer salami, and he's like he's taken off the pieces, and he's just like throwing them in the garbage, like he's like he's dealing cards, just like flip 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 flipping them into the can, and I'm like, dude, what's up? And he's like, I don't know. And he like starts throwing them so that they that they stick in the ceiling, and then he gets the uh, the bologna pack, and he does he does the same thing, like his whole ceiling is covered in lunch meat, and while we're while we're back in the room watching the cartoon, every once in a while you'd hear a piece like fall onto the ground, and this wasn't as destructive as the light fixture pogo stick incident, but this was, this was weird in its own way, because I don't even know what, like, hit him to decide to flip this lunch meat all around, and I was wondering also, like, wouldn't you be concerned that maybe you might want to have a sandwich later, and now you've, now you've discombobulated all the lunch meat, but, you know, when you're young, dude, you're impetuous, you don't think about the... You don't think about the sandwich that you're going to chow down on later. You just think about the destruction that you're going to do now. And that was the way it was. It was, it was pretty weird. These are only like a couple of the incidents where the destructiveness came out of him. I saw like a million of these. He was in a lot of the early episodes of the, the good old Toys R Us reports. The one where I would talk about specific toy lines exclusively. You'll hear a lot of... A lot of the stories are of me destroying action figures. And all of these, all of these stories, Andy was the dude that I would, that I would spend the time destroying figures with. He really enjoyed taking his toys out and throwing rocks at them. He, he had quite a lot of toys. He would go sometimes on weekends to see his father in Devado and... When he would come back, he would have, like, a lot of the new G.I. Joe stuff. He would have, like, helicopters and dudes and just everything. And he, I remember, this was always the way it was. He would come back with, like, a big cardboard box. 
like, full of toys. And he didn't go and see his father all that often. So it wasn't like toys were coming in all the time. But dude always had, like, the latest and coolest toys. And his, just what his favorite thing to do with them was, like, to throw rocks at them. Or to, like, like bury them in the dirt. And then it got to the point where he had gone through a lot of his toys. And it was, you know, my turn to throw rocks at my toys. Which is why I don't have a lot of the toys of my youth. In particular, I remember one time we... We got a bunch of my superpowers dudes, the DC superpowers guys, and I threw a rock and I hit a Martian Manhunter and he flew to a million bits and I threw a rock and I hit, I hit Dr. Fate. I remember I had the Dr. Fate and he's one of the, he's one of the ones that's hard to come by today and I, I really wish I had him. I loved his blue and yellow color scheme, but at the time I was hanging out with this maniac named Andy and our, our favorite thing to do was throw rocks at toys. Let's, uh, let's take another quick, super quick commercial break, and then I'll come back and I'll tell you a, a few more of the, uh, a few more of the things that me and my homie Andy used to do back in the day, goofing around good old, good old Rinkin' Valley and stuff. Coming from the farthest reaches of the universe to challenge the worst villains on Earth are the most powerful heroes ever in the Battle of the Superpowers Collection. Can it be the Supermobile on the attack? The Lexor 7 armed with kryptonite? Will the Supermobile repel those deadly rays? You bet. Ready for battle. Activate Ram. New from Kenner's Superpowers Collection. Vehicles and figures with power action, each sold separately. Flying lessons for Penguin. Fish bait for Luther. Can the Supermobile defeat the Lexor 7? You decide. We are back for whatever reason. Andy had a lot of, he had a lot of like army surplus stuff. He had a closet that was full of different like army uniforms. And I'm going to think that, I think that these were all like Vietnam era stuff. Maybe a bit after that, there were like, there were like fatigues, you know, not like full on, you know, like officer uniforms, like, formal uniforms or whatever. He had, like, army jackets and army pants, and he had helmets and shirts and just, like, holsters and all kinds of weird, cool stuff. He had, like, he had, like, two or three pairs of those neat old flight helmets that, you know, those leather, like, flight helmets with, like, the ear, the ear things and the goggles. He had all, like, this kind of stuff, and I don't know... I don't know where it came from, but he had, like, the coolest collection of army gear. And one of our favorite things to do was to, like, put on full army uniforms with, like, helmets or, like, flight helmets. And to go walk around the neighborhood and, like, skulk around and play army. We would do this, like, just about, I don't know, just about four or five times a week we would head over to his house get fatigued up and grab our toy guns and go, like, skulk around. I mean, playing army is, like, a normal thing. There's nothing weird about playing army, but we were in, like, in, like, junior high age at this time, you know, so we were a bit old for this, but both of us sort of thought that, we thought that after school we would join the army. We thought that that was, like, the coolest thing to do. We were just both, like, army marks. We were, like crazy into G.I. Joe, we were into, like, war movies, we were into the whole thing, you know, we're boys, this is, like, this is in the day, this isn't now when dudes are, like, fidget spinning and playing, like, Mario Kart, this is back in the day when you're outside wearing army gear and just, like, playing army, and we used to do this, like, all the time, but Andy was, you know, Andy was a maniac, I've said this, like, 
four or five times and he thought it was like he thought it was super funny to go up to people's doors and give it a knock and then when they answered he would he would pretend that he was like a full-on army dude and that we had to evacuate the neighborhood he would say that there was there was like a russian attack or there was like a gas attack and that everybody everybody had to evacuate and he would literally go like door to door knock on the door say the same thing knock on the door say the same thing and he thought this was like he thought this was like hilarious and then a lot of times after doing that he would go up to the doors again and imagine like he's in you know full army gear now he is like junior high kid but this was weird enough and people thought it was like very off-putting and he would knock on the door and go we have to evacuate there's been you know sightings of uh russian tanks coming down uh coming down Bennett valley road and they're gonna be heading down uh highway 12 in our direction we gotta we gotta evacuate and then they would you know laugh and stuff and giggle and be polite sometimes <laughs> uh. sometimes they tell him to go go take a leave but he would oftentimes go back he would go back knock on the door again and then do the whole routine but with like more urgency like we told you like three or four minutes ago you got to get out of here and imagine the poor people that are they're eating dinner they're coming home from work and here's this here's this kid in fatigues telling him that you know red dawn is happening like literally right in the streets this was this was one of his favorite things to do he used to do this all the time i'm surprised that somebody didn't just like didn't just like sock him in the face we would we would also, like, wear our fatigues and hide in the bushes and spy on people. That was another thing we would do. We'd pretend like we were, like, we were, like, stalker and snake eyes hiding in the bushes waiting for, waiting for people to walk by. We'd be gathering, gathering intel. I remember this one time super distinctly. He decided that, he decided we were going to do an op. We were going to do, like, a, uh, like an operation against this one dude that we knew. We lived on one side of Rincon Valley, and then you would go across this creek, and there was a, there was like a housing complex, and there were, there were like a few dudes we knew over there, and there was this one kid, his, his social status was, was even lower than ours, which was, which was fairly low, and, I mean, look, we wore our army uniforms and skulls around in the bushes, how popular how popular do you think we were at the school? So there was this one kid and his status was even lower than ours. And we decided we, when I say we, it was mostly, it was mostly Andy. And I'm not going to say that I was like blameless in all this because I was, I was part of it. And I can't say that I didn't, I didn't think that it was going to be a funny idea, but we decided to roll over to this, this dude's house. And we decided this is it. This is the house takeover. And we knocked on the door and when he opened it up, we we kind of ducked around the corner and he he came out and me and Andy like bum rushed into his living room and slammed the door shut and he started going bananas. I mean, of course he did because we weren't like we were tight bros. This was this wasn't like a prank. This guy Andy decided we were going to we were going to do a hostile takeover of this guy's house and this was summer or whatever, and we knew that his folks were gone, and it wasn't like we didn't see it as we would get into huge trouble. But dude ran next door to this other dude's house, and at the time we had like a student directory at the school that had the 
had the names and numbers of everybody who attended the school, and he went over there, and the kid, the kid wasn't home, and he told the kid's parents what we had done, and they got the student directory, and they, uh, they called my dad on the phone, and before I knew it, my dad showed up at his house, and we were just, like, in dude's, like, foyer. We, we expected that he would be beating on the door and beating on the door, and that we would, we would let him in, but he went over next door, and he got this other parent involved, and they called my dad, and he came down, and it was, it was, uh, quite a chaotic scene, man. We never saw that it was gonna be like this was, but, like, he was yelling, my dad was yelling at me, and it just, it was really bad, and I gotta admit, man, we did something that we should not have done, but this was, this was just the kind of thing that, like, ran through this guy's Andy's head. He had no, he had no idea of what was, like, taking it too far, and this was... Not something to me that seemed like taking it too far. If it happened to me, I don't think that I'm going to go and get, like, parental involvement. I probably would have, I probably would have moved around the back of the house and came in and reconnoitered. And I, I don't know, but this guy, he went to the parents and it turned out that this was just, like, one of the worst groundings I ever got in my life. I was grounded for, like, weeks and weeks and weeks. And they took, like, they took my Tandy they took the Atari, they took the black and white TV, they took everything, and I'm not gonna say that I didn't deserve it, because I did deserve it, because technically this is probably like breaking and entering, and that's a, that's a bad path for your kids to go down, but I also kind of think that this other kid is, could be accused of snitchery of the highest regard, but then again, I don't know, man, people react differently to different things now, I guess don't they? But really, we were messing around. We thought that he would, you know, sort of bang on the door for a second and we would, uh, we would let him in. We had a weird relationship with this kid. He, uh, lived in the complex across the creek, like I said, and we, we would get over there every once and again. There, there used to be a giant field at the end of the, the street that we hang on, hung out on, and if you crossed that field, there was a creek, and then you could go down the creek and up into a housing complex. It was like townhouses, you know, where they have like the two houses connected by a wall, which was, that was what we lived in at the time too. So this was, this was very similar to the complex that we lived in just on the other side of the creek. And every once in a while we would like put on our army gear and mob over there. And this kid was, this kid was, if it was even possible, less popular than me and Andy, he was, he was even one notch lower on the social scale, but we thought that he was, we thought that he was all right, but because he was, because he was even lower than us, we would sometimes mess around with him. It wasn't like an equal relationship, which when you look back, that's not cool, but at times as a youth, you do a lot of things that aren't cool. It's just, you don't really know. You don't know how, uh, how mean that is. It takes a while for a person to get any kind of empathy for other people beyond, you know, seeing, seeing dudes messed up by, like, physical injuries. It takes a while to get empathy for people's feelings, and we were, we were not always cool with this kid, but sometimes we were cool, and sometimes we would hang out. He had a big, he had a big collection of LJN wrestling figures, the big WWF ones, the giant, the giant rubber ones. Big match of my house. I'll bring my guys. You have yours. I've got junkyard dogs. It's World Wrestling Federation superstars. I've got Brutus Beefcake. Here's Jordan and Steel. I've got Great Hammer Valentine. Ricky the Dragon Steel. They're so real. And Rowdy Rock Piper. Can you tell the difference? Yeah.
You know what I'm talking about? They're like 12 inches tall. They were heavy rubber and they weren't really, they weren't really good for wrestling because they had very poor articulation. And I always thought the reason that they made these was because they were cheap. It was a cheap way to go about it because a wrestling figure should have like really high articulation so that you could, you could bust moves and stuff. And then first they did these and then they did those Hasbros, those like four or five inch Hasbros that only turned at the arms. Those were the worst. I never, I could never understand wrestling figures. Now they have like highly detailed, highly articulated figures, but we're, we're past the point where I want to play with wrestling figures, but we would, we would hang out over at dude's house and play with those LJN figures a lot. He had, he had a ton of a ton of them, and he had a ring, and it was, it was a lot of fun. I was into wrestling, and this other kid was into wrestling, and he was not so much into wrestling. Later, later after this, I got a, I got another tight pal, and we were, we were wrestling bros, but Andy was more of an, he was more of like an action figure, cartoon, role-playing game kind of pal, army, army gear wearing pal, so he wasn't like into the LJN dudes a lot, but he was, he was into him enough that he would hang out and play with us and stuff. And I remember once he loaned the kid a bunch of, a bunch of like G.I. Joe vehicles. I remember there was like a, like a helicopter and a tank and that laser and a bunch of stuff like that. Some figures, if I recall correctly. I don't remember the entire details of this, but we borrowed this kid's entire LJ in wrestling figure collection. And it was... It was pretty big. We put him in like a plastic garbage bag. This all became like an impromptu trade. I remember we were over at dude's house and Andy had had some of his Joes and some of his stuff and they they worked it out on the spot like a swap and we put the ring and all the dudes in a black garbage bag and we took off. We took off on our bikes. I remember reenacting like some of some of WrestleMania how like King Kong Bundy how he did that vicious attack on Hulk Hogan. He gave him the splash and then Hulk Hogan uh, avenged that at WrestleMania, and Andy, Andy was nice enough to play along. That was that was actually fairly cool of him. There was this there was this one time that I I remember like just just incredibly distinctly. It was one of the moments in my life when I was more scared than any moment in my life. I'll I'll tell you about it. We were walking over by Andy's house. Andy lived around the corner from me, and near his house was. Near his house was was this park, and we would we would sometimes go in the park and sometimes not. There was this guy Tim that we did not like. He was he was in our grade, but he was kind of a rocker dude, and he was he was like a bully. He would he would punch our arms sometimes if he if he found us. Like he hung out by this one tree, and I was actually over at that park not too long ago, and the tree has been um it's been completely chopped down. It's just a uh, it's just a stump now. So Tim's tree is now Tim's stump. But if if you caught him out over there smoking cigarettes, you might catch like like vicious arm punch. And this dude had he had like devastating power in his fists. His fists were like they were like rocks. He could just like he would pop his uh, knuckle out, his middle knuckle, and just bam right in the arm. It was both humiliating and painful. So we would stay out of the park a lot, but we were we were over on the street where where the park was and we're just, you know, we're just strolling along. We both had bikes, but remember how it was when you were younger, you would get a flat on your bike and flats were pretty frequent because you're like 
I was like taking my bike through fields and through just whatever. And you pick up thorns all the time. But the rub was if you got a flat, it wasn't going to be for like ever. Until your parents got around to like getting you a new inner tube or getting you even like a new tire or whatever. So it would... It would have been prudent to be safer on the bikes, but I was not. I have I have like a million stories of just dilapidated bikes, and I would go from like one bike to the next bike to the next junker bike all the time. I was a bit of a bike scrounge, but anyway, I'll I'll get into that at some some point. I I love bikes. I still still ride a bike, still think it's fun. So we were we were like strolling along and a car pulled up next to us. It was a uh, it was a Ford Fairmont. I remember this super distinctly. You'll find out you'll find out why as the story progresses. So the Fairmont pulls up next to us and there was this just skeevy guy in the in the driver's seat. Picture um the character that Donna Logue played on MTV back in the day. What was that guy's name? The the taxi driver guy who was all greased out and gross. Well, this guy was at the at the wheel of the Fairmont, and he pulls up next to us and starts going, "Hey, have you guys uh, have you guys seen a puppy? Have you seen a puppy around here? I, I lost I lost my puppy. The gate was open, and he was he was like out of breath, and he was in a tank top, like like a wife beater tank top. He had chains on. I'm. I'm thinking like Carl on Aqua Teen Hunger Force, if you can imagine. Like, a cross between these two guys. What was that guy's name? Hold on one second. I actually have something here that will... That will be useful if I can dig it out. Just hold your horses. I'm all the way... I'm stretched across the room. I... I found a tape the other day. And I don't even know... How well you could hear me right now. I am all the way across the room in in the VHS vault looking for this tape that I found. Here it is. Got it. It is called I Want My MTV. I found this at the dig and it was a bunch of MTV MTV shorts like Randy the Redwood, Joe's Apartment, and Jimmy the Cab Driver. He's right here on the back. Jimmy the Cab Driver. This guy... This guy is gross, and this guy in the Fairmont was gross, and he was out of breath, and he's like, I can't, I can't find my puppy. Can you guys, can you guys help me, can you help me find my puppy? Can you get in and help me? And we had recently had, like, a uh, Don't Get Kidnapped seminar at the school. This was in the era of Adam Walsh and all that kind of, all that kind of tragic news, and we were, we were taught to be on the highest of high alerts for potential potential kidnappers and one of the things they said was they might they might try to lure you into the car by telling you telling you that they they need your help with something they might try to get your sympathy they may tell you that they may tell you they need help finding a puppy and i i had this fresh in my mind it was like fresh in my mind and i go Hey, no, you know, we gotta, we gotta go, leave us alone, or something like that. But then Andy starts going, I saw a puppy. I saw a puppy in a yard. I could help you find the puppy. And the guy's like, okay, go around to the other side. And I grabbed his arm. I grabbed his arm super tight. And I'm like, don't get in this guy's car. What are you doing? We just, we just learned that thing. And he's just like, I'm going to help him. And he pulled his arm 
like, free of my arm, like, forcefully, like, let go of my purse! And he pulled his arm and jumped in the guy's car, and they zoomed away. I I looked and I wrote down the, uh, the license plate number of the car as they zoomed off. I jotted it down on my, on my, uh, school bag, uh, book cover, and I went home, and there was... There was nobody home at the time. This was, my mom was working, my dad was working, so I would come home and be with just me and my bro, and I was, I was at the house all by myself, and I was just like, I was completely in a panic. I did not know what to do. I'm like, should I call the police? Should I call my mom? And you have this thing when you're younger where you are, you're like afraid to pull the trigger on something that might cause a lot of, uh, a lot of cause and effect, and... I remember thinking, if I call the police and it turns out not to be a kidnapping, this is going to be a big deal and I'm going to get in trouble. And if I call my mom, she'll come home. And then if it turns out not to be something, I'll get in trouble. So, so I sat on it. I, this would have been the worst thing I had ever done if it didn't turn out the way that it did. So I sat around the house and I was just, I was in a sweaty panic. I was just I was in the sweatiest panic. I'm thinking my my best friend is gone. He's being he's being decapitated right now as we as we speak. But then all of a sudden he showed up at the door. This was this was a while later and he showed up at the door and he's like, "Hey, what's going on?" And I grabbed him and I'm like, "I can't believe it. I can't believe you're alive. What happened?" And he goes, "Nothing. Nothing happened. I I went around the corner and I showed the guy the dog in the yard and it turns out that it was it was his dog and he he gave me he gave me $20 and he had he had $20. So there you have it. Sometimes sometimes doing the riskiest thing that you can ever imagine like in your entire life. This had me so scared. I'm thinking that he's all these horrible things are happening to him. I couldn't believe that he got in the car and even to this day I can't believe he got in the car. He pulled my arm with such a velocity. He's just like, eh, let me go. I'm going to save this dog. And you know what he did? So more power to him. Let's take a, uh, let's take a quick commercial break and then we will be back in a sec with uh, some more stories and stuff, I guess. Hi there. Do you live around here? Uh-huh. You going to school? Yes. Well, uh, I, I could give you a ride. Last year, 50,000 children disappeared, many of them from nice, safe neighborhoods. It's okay. Come on, help me. Talk to your children about not talking to strangers and do it today. A message for your child's safety from the American Medical Association. You see? You see? That's the climate that we were living in at the time. They would... They would bombard you with those announcements. And then Andy up and got in the car and drove away with Jimmy, the cab driver, and Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force's cousin. It was, it was a terrifying moment. But this kid was, this kid would, was nuts. He would, he would come over to our house a lot because his, his mom wasn't around and his, his sisters couldn't really be counted on to make dinner. So he would, um, he would have dinner. At our house a lot, which was, it was fine with my parents. They didn't mind having him around. He was, he wasn't like a giant pest. He was, you know, another, another kid at our house, but he did have, he had this routine that he would go through every time. And it was, it was super weird. And even like to this day, I I think that it's, 
a bit odd. Understandable, but odd. Let me, let me talk about it for a sec. So, we would have dinner, and then he would hang out and watch, watch a little TV, you know, we would watch some more cartoons, or like USA Cartoon Express, you know, we would, we would do something like that, and then, when it was time, like bath time, or time to go to bed, my, my mom would let him know that he had to go, and he would, this would happen maybe uh, 50 to 60% of the time. He would he would say, I don't want to go. And my mom would say, well, you know, it's bath time. It's bedtime. We, you have to go. And he wouldn't do it. And then he would, he would fall on the floor like a log. Like he would get on the floor and he would get stiff like a board. And he wouldn't move and he wouldn't acknowledge anybody. He would just, he would just lay on the floor and my mom would be like, Andy, you have to go. I'm not, I'm not playing around. It's time to go. And he would be on the floor like a board. And no matter what you did, he wouldn't, he wouldn't break from, you know, the board like behavior. And this was, this was something that would happen all the time. And I don't know how my mom, I don't know how my mom was so patient with it. I couldn't imagine 2.0 having, having a friend who did that. I just, I can't imagine that this kid's just laying on the floor and he won't go. And in retrospect, it's not, weird as much as as much as it's sad he just he didn't want to go home he didn't want to be there by himself or be there with his sisters he was he was largely an unattended kid like I said I would hardly ever see his mom she counted on counted on his two sisters to take an eye and keep an eye on him but they were they were out living their lives they had boyfriends and they had jobs and Andy was he was just, just like, by himself, by and large. He was just like a wild, a wild kid. But my parents couldn't, they couldn't adopt him. He couldn't live with us. They would let him be with us as much as they could. And then he would, you know, have to go home to go to bed in his house. It's sad. It's very sad. But it is what it is. And he would, he would do this bored routine and he just... It would keep going on and on and on until my mom would sometimes have to grab him by his feet and, like, pull him out into the front yard and then shut the door on him, which was... It was super weird. I wonder how this... I wonder how this could have been handled differently in retrospect. We... We had tried a couple different times. And I say we, I mean my mom and my dad. They tried a couple times at different points to get... To get the authorities involved, but nothing ever seemed to come of it. I'll tell you... I'll tell you one. And if I tell you one... There was another situation that was similar, so I don't really have to tell you that one. Andy, Andy came over, he came over to our house, and he was like, he was beating on the door. And this is, this is a sad, somewhat upsetting story, so be forewarned about that. He came over, and he was beating on our door, and when my mom opened it up, he had, he had, like, blood trickling down his forehead. You know, he, he was going down his forehead, down his nose, and she was like, oh my gosh, Andy, what's going on? And he goes, my mom hit me, my mom hit me, and he's like... He's totally spazzing out, uh, you know, not unexpectedly with, with all this going on. He's, he's freaking out. And my mom manages to calm him down. She, she takes care of his wound and she gets the story out of him that he was, he was buck over at the house. And he even, he even admitted that he was really spazzing out and that he wouldn't stop spazzing out. And that his mom, his mom took a plastic, uh, like this plastic shotgun that he had. It was like a toy shotgun. We would... We'd play with this from time to time. It was one of our, one of our go-to army guns when we were like marching through the uh, Vietnam neighborhood of our, of where we lived. And she, she busted it 
over, you know, his forehead because he was just spazzing out and it opened up a cut on his head. So my mom was, she was trapped in a weird position because while you don't want to see somebody get busted in the head, a lot of times getting Child Protective Services involved can be even worse. Andy could have wound up in a foster home, which would have maybe not have been the worst situation imaginable, but... These are the kind of things where once you get the wheels in motion, you don't, you don't know where things are going to lead. And my mom and my dad, they like talked about this for a while and eventually decided that they were going to, you know, they were going to call the, the police. So they, they called the police number and they told them what happened because Andy had a fairly nice gash in his head. It was, it wasn't like anything that would require stitches, but it was way too much damage to do to like your own child by any possible stretch of the imagination. So they called the authorities and somebody did show up the, you know, like a black and white rolled up and my mom told them what happened and they showed them Andy. So the officer, my mom and Andy all walked over to Andy's house. He lived close by. So they all walked over there and I, I, I heard this all secondhand, but they knocked on the door and his mother wasn't home. She had gone somewhere. So the police asked if it was okay if Andy stayed at our house. I don't know if this is a common practice. I kind of imagine it is. And they said that they would they would follow up on this. And Andy stayed with us. And then he stayed with us another day. And there was never any sort of, like, a follow-up. There was never anything. Eventually, on this situation, Andy got a hold of his dad somehow. And his dad came and got him. This was one of the one of the few sightings of the guy and they went about their business and Andy was with him for, he was with him for a bit. He was in Nevada with his dad and it was, this was like a pretty upsetting time I recall because I didn't like seeing my friend get abused and I didn't, I didn't know if he was going to come back. I didn't know anything. Andy wasn't the kind of guy who would who would call you on the phone. So I didn't know anything until one day he just, he just showed up and everything seemed like, it seemed like it got just worked out between him and his mom. Cause he went back to living at home and everything went back to normal. He was buck wiling. She, she hit him with something again at a different point. And the, the cycle repeated. I, I feel bad for Andy. When I, when I look back as an adult, he was in a very, very bad situation when you're born and it's like nobody wants to like take responsibility for raising you. It's just who knows how things are going to turn out for you. Who knows what's going to happen. And Andy, he had just not a like a full blown insanity, but he was like a crazy wild guy. He was really hard to really hard to control. He was kind of hard to have around overall, but he was my friend and I spent a lot of time with him and I I really look back and I I cherish this time that I spent with him because I I learned a lot about life and I learned a lot about the about the authorities and just the way things worked out because there was, as far as I know, never any follow-up because Andy was at our house. He was with us and it was us who kind of made him get in contact with his dad because my mom's just like, you and your brother share a room. You can't have three people in the room in a small townhouse. We can't, we can't take responsibility for this kid, especially when he has, he does have a father out there. So we, 
we got Andy to get a hold of his father, and that was, you know, that was like what happened. He went and he stayed with his dad for a while. Nobody ever came, nobody ever came back. And I wonder if that is the norm, or if these were just negligent officers, or the just things fall through the cracks, but it just doesn't seem like anything was out there to uh, help Andy in this situation. And it really, it really bums me out to think about, even, even like, even till now. And in that story, that was all a bummer. And I apologize, but I can't, I can't tell the, the story without, without getting into some of the bad things. We had a lot of fun together, but there were a lot of a lot of tricky, a lot of scary, a lot of weird situations. I have nothing but, nothing but regret in looking back. I, I, I feel like, I don't know, that I should have, I should have done more for him. But a lot of times I was, I was annoyed by him and these things that he would do, like the board routine. And the board routine was not the, like, worst thing, but it would take sometimes just forever to get him out of the house because he wasn't a small guy and like my mom's pulling him and I'm pulling him and it was it was something that would create hard feelings I would be upset with him after he would do it and he was he he was just abrasive in a lot of ways because he was raised on his own he he was a good guy though and I like I consider him one of my best friends of all time. I'm not, um, I'm not kidding. We were pretty tight. We would hang out all of the time. It was just a day-to-day thing. When he was home, when he wasn't in Nevada, we would, we would kick it. We would go around the neighborhood. And he was one of the first, if not like the first super solid outside of, outside of school friend that I had. He did he did have family, actually. I'm thinking about this right now. We, on maybe two different occasions, I don't know why I didn't remember this earlier. He did, he did have an uncle. He had this Uncle Mike, and I think Uncle Mike was his mom's brother, and he lived up in the hills. We live in a valley. We live in Rinkin Valley, and there are mountains, like hills, all around us, and people uh, live up there, fortunate people live up there, and his uncle Mike lived up in, up in the hills, and we went to see him a couple times, and we got, we got dropped off by his sisters, and I don't know, I don't know what would have set this in motion, but there was, there was at least two separate times that they drove us up to uh, Uncle Mike's house in the hills. It was, it was a pretty nice house, man. The people who, the people who live up there, they got a, they got some pricey real estate and they got some fancy houses. And this was, this was a fancy house. I don't know the story behind it because Uncle Mike didn't seem like a fancy guy. He was, he was like a down to earth, like Rinkin Valley cowboy type. In the early days of, uh, of Rinkin Valley, there was a lot of like, uh, what are they called? Olives. There were a lot of olive groves and a lot of olive farmers, and there were like a bunch of much more rural things than there are now. And the the cowboy roots still were hanging around at this time. And Uncle Mike was he was like a cowboy type. He wore a plaid shirt and a not like a cowboy hat. He wore you know like a baseball hat, but he was he was one of those Western types that was like slow talking, slow walking, dipping tobacco, and he had a. Uh, super fancy house in the hills and we would go up there and 
the the land around it is is fairly wild. We would at the time be warned of you know bobcats and mountain lions, and I actually just read in the paper today that there was like a bobcat sighting like a few blocks away from where I am now. So even today there there are still these evil beasts running around. So we would always get warned when we were up there, but we would. We would venture out into into the woods and the hills, and it's not the kind of woods that are green, per se. These are like the golden California hills with tall grass, oak trees, and that kind of thing. But we would, we would go out there and soldier about. This was when it was fun that Andy had all this army gear. We would get, we would get fatigued up, we would grab the, grab the guns, the shotgun before it got cracked over his head, and we would... We would go on up there and just pretend like we were we were on maneuvers. It was that was a lot of fun. We would catch bugs. That was something we were into when we were up at Uncle Mike's. We would we would try to trap scorpions and like black widow spiders and get them in jars. We would sometimes it's not nice and I'm not happy about this now, but we would like get a couple scorpions and put them in a baby food jar and see if we could we could get them to sting each other, which is super mean. And now that I'm more of an enlightened person, I look back on this with deep regret but you don't become enlightened without doing things you regret i think you have to you have to have some regret before your before your heart knows what's right and wrong but we would we would do this we would soldier around we would climb up trees and then at the end of the day uncle mike would barbecue up he had one of those gimmicks which was a um like a oil drum, like one of those steel oil drums cut in half that he would barbecue up there and we would we would barbecue chickens and it was it was a good time. I I don't know a lot about Uncle Mike beyond that. He may have he may have not even been an uncle. It may have been just they called him Uncle Mike. I have I have no clue, but I do remember going up there and having a really good time, having chicken, having scorpion fights, doing some doing some maneuvers, reconnoitering around some other fools. We would, we'd have a good time. There was a lot of space up there. There still is. When I, when I look up toward the Golden Hills, there is, there's a lot of open real estate. We would get super duper far from Mike's house. That was, that was a really good time. And to be honest, none of that is anything that I ever think about. It all, it all came back like right now while I'm doing this episode. So this is, this is fun. I'm glad I'm able to share this uh, super fresh memory. This memory of hiking and walking around in the uh, in the dirty Golden Hills. Another another thing that has just come back to me that I hadn't remembered in many years was that Andy was an awesome artist. He probably still is. Dude could draw like crazy. He had that natural ability to just like see something and then draw like an exact duplicate of it. He was... He was very talented, but he didn't seem as if he was, like, really interested in drawing. He would, like, draw every once in a while just to, like, you know, make some joke or whatever, like, draw a comic or something. He liked to, uh, he liked to draw dirty comics. His, his walls were covered with, like, these, you know, humorous, like, Playboy-style pinups that he would draw. They weren't, you know, up to the, up to the quality of, like, a Playboy, you know, comic, but... They were like the junior high version of such. And he had them, he had them all over the walls. And that was always cool, man. It was always like, it was cool to check up and see like what his, what his latest works were. He would sometimes draw G.I. Joes too. I remember he would like draw G.I. Joe battles and he would have like Cobra Commander, you know, strangling Duke 
or whatever. There was, there's also this one time, and I was, I was just thinking about this too right now. We're at the, we're at the part of the show where I'm just, you know, I'm just winging it. We're, we're getting ready to, to take it home. It's been, it's been over an hour of talking about good old Andy, and that's, that's a pretty, uh, pretty fair tribute show for somebody. But there was this one time he was, he was sitting on his fence. The, the back fence of his house was also, like, the side fence of the, of the parking area of the townhouse complex that we lived in. And in between the, in between the fence and the parking area, there were, like, blackberry bushes, you know, the super thorny bushes, they were just like, they were running rampant, there was a good, I'm gonna think, seven to ten feet of, like, just brambles, they were just tangled all together, it was, it was a veritable land of death, and Andy was, like, up on the fence in his backyard, just trying to get my attention, we were, we were tossing the pigskin around the, uh, the common area of the, uh, complex, and he was, he was up on the fence trying to get our to get our attention, and he's like, "What's up? What's up? What's up?" And then you know we're like, "Hey, what's up, man?" And all of a sudden he fell. He fell off the fence right into the brambles. It was it was horrific. We ran over there, and he's in the he's in the brambles. You know he's he's thrashing about, and it was like it was like. And this is going to be a somewhat obscure wrestling reference for those of you who don't who don't watch the squared circle, but he was, he was trapped in there like Terry Funk and Sabu back in the famous ECW arena barbed wire match. It was, it was something. And the more he would thrash, the more he would, the more he would get caught. And he was lucky enough to be wearing his, you know, his army fatigue. So it wasn't like he was wearing, you know, like his jams and a t-shirt when he fell in. He was, he was kind of covered, but he was, he was pretty trapped. I don't remember, like, the specific details of, like, the time of year it was or whatever, but I remember he was thrashing about and we had no one, no one to call upon. And this was, this was, like, a pretty serious situation. He was getting pretty brambled up and there was, there was no visible means of escape. I mean that. He was, he was in, like, the hole of a donut of just bramble bushes that were taller than his head. They were, they were just out of control brambles. That was... That was what separated the complex from just, like, the rest of the world was this wall of brambles along the, along the parking garage fence. And he was, he was trapped in there and he was getting scratched. He's like, ah, guys, help. I'm getting, I'm getting scratched. I'm getting gouged. Help, baby, help. He was trapped on his back, just in there. Help me, guys. Ah, ah. And we did not know what to do. It was me, my cousin, that kid I had previously talked about, Cockroach, and my brother, and we had, we had no idea what to do. My cousin was the oldest guy, so it should have been, it should have been up to him to figure something out, but it was actually my younger brother who was like, we need to, uh, we need to get, like, a piece of cardboard. We gotta get, like, a big piece of cardboard. We could put it down, and if we put it, we could sort of, like, walk over and maybe, maybe, like, squish it down, you know, further enough that we could, we could get him out, so we, we went around to the dumpsters, this was the kind of place where you had dumpsters, not like individual garbage service, you know, you would empty your can into one, one communal dumpster, so we dug around in the dumpster areas, we had to go to a couple, couple different ones, there was like four, four big parking garages, not parking garages, parking units, they were outdoor, what did we call them, car parks, there were four outdoor car parks, and each one had each one had a dumpster, and we had to go to a couple different ones before we finally found, like, this 
really long swath of cardboard and we brought it with us and we we took it and we threw it across trying to get near where Andy was and then we we kind of walked on it and as we walked it squished the it squished the berry bushes down and eventually we were able to get in there and when we got to him he was he was so caught up in caught up in the in the brambles in the famous ECW arena match they they had to stop the fight because both Sabu and Terry Funk were so so wrapped with the barbed wire that they had to get in there and cut him out for their own safety you know that they, they had uh, cutters and they they chopped him out but we didn't have any cutters we just had to like use our hands and pull these pull these brambles out of him you know it was he was our friends we were the only ones there to save him and we all got our hands just like sliced and diced and man we eventually we did get him out of there but that was that was a pretty harrowing situation from the from the age of youth i remember thinking i don't know how we're gonna get him out of here i don't know if i would have thought of this cardboard box idea so i gotta give gotta give a big up to my brother for this one one of one of me and andy's like favorite things to do besides you know like get stuck on blackberry bushes was to play role-playing games, there were quite a few we were into. We would play D&D and take turns being the dungeon master. I was I was the better dungeon master of the two. I'm I'm a fair storyteller, and even then I could make up some weird some weird stuff, but I don't think being the dungeon master is very fun. I don't think it takes a special breed of person who wants to do that. I, I much prefer playing, but Andy's dungeons and stuff weren't that great. So I would end up doing that more often than not. So we kind of moved into more one-on-one style of competitive role-playing games. We were into Robotech, the the Robotech role-playing game. Andy was big into, like, the Robotech toys and the Robotech cartoon. I liked, I liked some of the toys. I liked the mechs, but I wasn't, I wasn't into the, the story of Robotech so much, and we did play the game a bunch. We would, instead of doing campaigns, we would play against against each other we would each make a mech and then we would fight as i recall and this may or may not be true because i haven't i haven't actually seen this game in many 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 years the one that has the yellow cover with the with the mech that looks like an airplane on it and the the basis of the game was based around like heat like you didn't want your mech to overheat so you had to always be you had to always be aware of that and we thought that this was all like really fun and really complex and we would have like mech battles just for hours in his living room and then we got into Car Wars by by Steve Jackson and we would have Car War battles galore. Car Wars is it's set in the future in a world where there is no gas and everybody drives around in electronic cars in a Mad Max style universe just shooting each other for resources and in the game, there's also, like, a competitive dueling circuit. And we would we would design cars and then have them fight each other. This was this was one of our favoriteest things to do. We had big maps, big maps of uh, just, like, different locales. We would go down to Fantasy Books and Games and cop the, cop the Steve Jackson Car Wars maps. And you have these small uh, cardboard chits that look like cars, and if you flip them over, there's, like, a destroyed version on the other side, and we would, we would move these around, and just Car Wars it up for hours at a time, I, I really like Car Wars, I do have a few Car Wars books, I have the, the Uncle Albert guys, these, 
these were books that were published in the Car Wars universe where you could get like extra gadgets, like extra, extra crazy gadgets that weren't available to the uh, person who only had the normal guidebook. As I, as I remember back, the Uncle Albert stuff was official Steve Jackson merch, but it wasn't official as far as like, you couldn't use these gadgets in competition, but when you're having like friendly living room battles, you could just... You could just have at it with them. I used to love me some Car Wars. I actually, like, stuck with that game for the longest time. I played it all the way through junior high and then into high school. We had we had a uh, Car Wars league going at a good old Santa Rosa High School in the library. My my sophomore year, there was, like, a room off to the side where they kept the, the uh, audio-visual equipment. And I had, I had one period where I was a library volunteer, so I got, like superior access to the library and we would we would use this room to play uh play car wars steve jackson car wars that was that was so much fun i really had no intention of taking another break in the show but i i found this car wars commercial on a uh tape in the vhs vault and i just wanted to wanted to pop it in really quick so you could check it out it's great Fasten your seatbelt for the hottest show on home video, Car Wars. Over 130 spectacular crashes by some of pro racing's top drivers. There's never been so much action packed into one super home video. See all the thrills, all the spills in the comfort of your own home. These are the most spectacular crashes ever filmed. Car Wars, home video from K5 International, only $19.99. Available at Zellers, Wolco Woolworth, Kresge Kmart, and all Canadian tire stores. Sorry about that. That wasn't Steve Jackson's Car Wars. That was KTEL's Car Wars. It was a video of uh, stunts and race car crashes. That's that's super weird. But if you want it, it's available at Kresge's. You can go go to your neighborhood Kresge's and get one now. As as the story continues, the the end of the tale is such. I'm going to I'm going to take it home. This has been a bit of a bit too much Andy talk for one. For one day, one day I went over to Andy's house, knocked on the door, and one of his sisters told me that Andy had moved in with his dad in Novato, and that that was where he would be living from now on, and that was, uh, that was more or less the real end of everything. We were hanging out, hanging out, playing Robotech, playing in humanoids, G.I. Joe's, and then the next day, I went over, knocked on the door, and his sister told me that he had moved to Novato. And it sounds weird, and it sounds sudden, and it was weird, and it was sudden, and it was just all of a sudden my my best friend was just yanked out of my life. He just he just disappeared. It was it was something. And like I said, Andy was not the type to call you on the phone or the kind to do whatever he would just he would just show up at your door and I didn't hear from him for for like months he just he just disappeared I didn't have his dad's phone number I didn't I didn't have anything and I suppose I could have asked for it but I was I was hurt I was just hurt that that he was just gone like that and I didn't I didn't see him for just the longest time, and he did, he did come back at one point to see his mom, and I saw him, but in the time that we were apart, we had, we had grown apart, I had a new friend, I had this friend named Mark, and we shared the same interest as me and Andy, and I, 
was, you know, I was into hanging out with this kid, Mark. And when Andy would come and visit, the the magic was gone, as it was. He was... He was off in Novato, and while he was there, he was, he was, like, slowly turning into a G, if that makes sense. He was going from being, like, a dude who played Car Wars into, like, a more gangstered-out dude. One time he, he came back, he had sunglasses, and then he had his hair slicked back, and he was wearing, like, a white t-shirt and, like, you know, Dickie's pants with the gorillas on him, and he was wearing, like, red cons, and dude was just becoming like a straight up G and it was really it was really weird to me because I don't know if he was you know dipping into a life of crime or if he was just you know into like the gangster rap scene but the dude was going from being the role-playing nerd action figure nerd that I knew into dude who drove he drove a Cadillac he had sunglasses he had looks like Gino Vega his hair was slicked back and it was it was really really weird and I lost contact with him, with him completely, just, it was, we were really great friends, and then one day we weren't, and then I would see him every once in a while, and that was how it was, I did eventually, like, reconnect with him on Facebook to a smaller degree, and it does, it seems like he has his life in order, he does seem like a bit, a bit of a gang star, but he does, he does have things in order, it doesn't look like he's like he's been inside or has done anything bad like that. I don't know if, to be honest, if dude is a bad guy or if he is, he's a good guy. Andy was always, always a bit wild and it is possible that he could have shifted allegiance from being, you know, on the lawful side to being more of the chaotic side. He may have always been sort of a chaotic good, which if I which I interpret means, you know, you're a bit on the wild side, but, like, you got your, you got, like, your basic morals on straight. You're not an evil guy. You're just, you know, you're just wild. He may have been that way all along, and I don't know if he shifted to being more of, like, not a chaotic evil. Maybe just somewhere in between a chaotic good and a chaotic evil, but I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. I probably, I probably should try to reconnect with Guy, but... Ultimately, it's like it is what it is. We were we were really great friends for a few year period of my life, and he's somebody that I do I do think about all the time. I really do. We spent some very formative years together. A lot of my a lot of my like super awkward time between this and this were were spent with Andy, and it was you know a good time. We did a lot of fun stuff. We had a lot of a lot of weird adventures, and you know. To be honest, I wish him nothing but the best. I have nothing but super positive feelings toward him. And I hope that, I hope that this has been fun. It's been mostly cathartic for me because he's somebody I do think about all the time. And I just, you know, I wonder, I wonder about him. And not exclusively wonder. I also, you know, just reminisce and I don't know. It's just, you know how it is when you have these friends that were tight that you just have lost contact with. You want to know, you want to know how things have gone. But this is me. Icy Robots, I am signing off for This Boring Life, episode number seven, which is titled My Friend Andy. So until next time, you know, Kevin Zerb, pick up that keytar, hit those keys, and take us out of here. This boring life, I can't get boring. This boring life, oh, this boring life. Can't get money for it. Boring life. This boring life. I can't get money for it. Boring life.
Robots Radio production. I see Robots Radio is a listener-supported endeavor. If you like what we do and we make your day a little easier, please consider tossing a few bucks our way to help keep the life support running. All money collected goes to help us prepare for future space pirate attacks. Go on over to supportthereport.com for all the details. Thanks and have a great week.